Will you guys welcome Pastor Chris Morrow? Hey, hey guys, I'm so glad to be here with you guys today and uh, love Anthony. We have a, a, a bond, deep bond of love for the Suns, and we've been suffering for many years together as Suns fans, and so we finally got a, a good year, and we're, we're excited about that, we're excited for what's to come. Uh, also, man, I love Flagstaff. Man, you guys have it nice over here. Oh my God, it was, it was 113 degrees when we... We drove out of Phoenix, so praise God for Flagstaff. <laughs> uh, and, I, and I love it, love it here, love you guys. Um, a little bit about me, as Anthony said, I'm the, one of the lead pastors over at Redemption West uh, Mesa. We do have a bilingual service, and, uh, it, 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 and uh, one of the things I love is actually getting to go preach other places because I, I feel like I get the, the shackles taken off of me because I can just, just go. Usually I have an interpreter next to me. And so I'm saying a line, and I'm waiting. I say a line, and I'm waiting. So, so uh, it's, uh, it's freeing. I'm excited, and uh, excited to share with you guys. Uh, a little bit about me. I'm married. I'm going on, uh, I'll celebrate 15 years in March with my beautiful wife, Ruthie, up here. So, so thank you guys for that. And uh, I'm, a, I'm a blessed man. I have four daughters. I'm a girl dad. And they're all playing sports. We got two in basketball, two in volleyball. Uh, so uh, making dad proud in sports. I love sports. Uh, also, uh, so I got a 13-year-old. I got a 10, 8, and 5. So we're busy. We're busy at home. And a lot of emotions. I'm very emotional. I'm ending the, at the end of the day, I'm laying in the fetal position, sucking my thumb in a pool of tears. <laughs> Just kidding, but anyway, it's great. Love my babies. Uh, I did not grow up in the Christian church. I grew up. Uh, yeah, I went to Catholic a little bit when I was a little kid. Didn't did never. It was a Catholic Spanish mass, so way over my head. I didn't grow up speaking Spanish. And then uh, a little bit as a kid, I had some exposure to church, but not much. But when I was 15 years old, is when I I met Jesus. I had some friends invite me to Young Life. Anyone know about Young Life? How many people? Young Life? I know Young Life. Flagstaff has some, has some good Young Life here. Is Jay Rennie still here? They moved? Okay, so I used to know Jay Rennie. But uh, anyway, when I was 15 years old, I had some friends invite me to Young Life. And then I was like, well, well what is it? They're like, well, it's like this religious thing. No way. I don't want anything to do with religion. They said, it's like a youth group. No, man, youth group? Heck no. Right? They said, uh, but, but it like, they said, but all the, all the fine preppy girls are there. And I was like, well, pfft, why didn't you say that in the first place? Let's go. So that's what got me to go to Young Life, fine preppy girls. But I was a little cholo, little cholo guy. You guys, don't know, you guys know what a cholo is? A cholo is a, like a Mexican gangster. All right? So I was a little cholo kid, same haircut, slick back since I was a little kid. Uh, except I didn't have this, the full beard grown in. I just had the little, the little fuzz stash, right? <laughs> little, little spiders coming out of my nose. <laughs> so I had no, no, no luck with any of the preppy girls, but I found something better there. That summer I went to a Young Life camp up in Northern California, and I heard about Jesus for the first time. And I remember the day clearly. It was June 6, 1996. 
On that day, they play this uh, uh, video of Jesus on the cross, right, dying for our sins. They tell us that Jesus loves us and he wants to have a relationship with us. And, and it was just like, it was like a light bulb moment, like my eyes opened. Was, and uh, I went outside that night. They gave us some time to go out and pray. And, and I prayed, God, I don't even know what this is, what this means, but I just know I want to live for you. And God saved me that day. And I wasn't looking for God. I wasn't trying to be religious. I wasn't uh, trying to follow God. I was, I was kind of a knucklehead. And I could tell you some, even some horrible things that me and my friends did at camp. But God saved me. Right? He, I wasn't looking for him, but he found me. And he brought me out of the darkness into the light. And, and he gave me a new heart. And so I've been walking with Jesus since uh, 1996, 25 years now. It's it's it's. It's mind-blowing to think that most of my life now I've been walking with Jesus. And uh, so, uh, so, you know, I, I respond to Jesus. And, and, and so, like, today when we, we talk about this text today, it's like, how do we deal with belief and unbelief? Uh, th- this text that we're going to see today is kind of tackles that. Why don't more people believe? Why don't more people respond to Jesus when they see these uh, amazing signs and wonders of what Jesus does? And so as we get into this text, what we're going to see is this is last Jesus' uh, last public speech. This is the last time he speaks publicly. After this, it'll just be him and his disciples. This is also the last week of Jesus' life. He's already come to Jerusalem Remember, he comes triumphal entry, shouts of Hosanna. He comes into the city. And, uh, and so this is the, the end of his week. So the last time, last, next time he'll show up in a public appearance, he'll be on trial before the people. Right? And, and, and at, by the end of this week, he'll be crucified and, and, then, and then three days later rise from the grave. And so throughout this book... Uh, of John, I want to do a little recap for you because as we're coming back into John, Jesus has been doing all these amazing miracles and he's been calling people to believe, right? He's been calling people to come and, and follow him and put their faith in him. And he's been making the Father known. John 1.18 says, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So Jesus has come to make the invisible God visible. And he's coming to put God on display. And he does it through all these amazing signs and wonders. And the whole purpose is so that people would believe, so that they would turn to him in faith. And, and, and at this point, there's, it doesn't seem like Jesus' ministry is having a whole lot of success because not many people are believing. So let's look at some of these signs and wonders as a recap for the book of John. In John chapter 2, Jesus turns water into wine, uh, right? He, he saves the day at this party where this, this, uh, the host of the, of the wedding would have been put to shame. And, and, and this is the first time he manifests his glory by turning water to wine. And, the, and when the disciples see what he does, because they kind of get to see the background of this happening behind the scenes, we're told that they believe. And then in John 4, we see Jesus heal an official son who is dying. So this, this important official comes to Jesus, desperate, desperate for help. His, his son is dying. And Jesus tells him, go, your son is healed. And the man believes Jesus. 
He goes home and he finds his son healed. And him and his whole household, when they, they find out the time that he was made better was the same time when Jesus was, was speaking to him, they all believe. In John chapter 5, Jesus heals a, a lame man at the pool of Bethesda. Now this man had been disabled and unable to walk for 38 years. That's a long time. And Jesus, with the command, tells him to get up and walk. And the man walks. And the man believes. In John chapter 6, Jesus feeds 5,000 people. Right? This miraculous thing that all the people are here. They're gathered up on this, this mountain in the middle of nowhere. All they have is two fish and five loaves of bread. Jesus prays and, and he multiplies the food so that everyone has their fill. And at the end of this meal, there's leftovers. Right? There's leftovers. This amazing miracle. And, and, and the people just keep wanting more and more and more signs. And in John 9, Jesus heals a man who is blind from birth. It's so miraculous that no one can believe that this is the same guy. He's trying to say, hey, it was me. I was that guy. And, and no one believes him. And, and, uh, and the, the religious leaders, they're upset. They're angry. They, they want, they're, they're starting to plot against Jesus. And the man who heals, is healed, believes. And, and one of the final miracles that we see, the, the signs and wonders that Jesus does is in John 11. So before we, we took a break, we, we saw this miraculous uh, raising from the grave. This man, his friend, Lazarus, had been in the tomb for four days. And Jesus calls him out of the tomb and raises him from the dead. And we're told many witnesses believed, but not everyone, right? Not everyone so there's a few people kind of uh, seeing these signs and believing. And John 20, 30 says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of, of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So right, John in John 20 reiterates the, the purpose of all these signs and wonders. It's so that people would believe so that we would believe, and so that we would have life in his name. And up to this point now, when we get to John 12, a few people have believed. A few people. Uh, many have uh, seen these, uh, have been impressed by these miraculous signs, but do not believe. And many have rejected Jesus already. In spite of the signs and wonders, they have rejected Jesus and they're plotting to kill him. And that's where we are at in John 12. And I know one of the crazy things is, is to think, like, how could they not believe? Right? We, we kind of put ourselves in, in these people's shoes. If I would have seen a man rise from the grave, like, how could you not believe? And so this is kind of the, the question that Jesus is going to address in this text. Why don't more people believe? What, right? what's, the, what's the roadblock? What's the barrier to belief in, in, in these people? And I want to read you this quote. It's by Vance Havner. It says, The same sun melts ice and hardens clay, and the word of God humbles or hardens the human heart. 
right? So the same word of God, the same gospel, the same signs and wonders can have different effects on different people, right? Someone whose heart is soft, their, their heart will, will melt like ice, and, and they'll believe in Jesus and have faith in Jesus. But on the other hand, the, the same gospel, right, these same signs can serve to harden some as well. And so that's what's happening. Some are believing and some are being hardened in, in their opposition towards Christ. So today we're going to look at two things. What was Jesus' main message? It's in verses 44 through 50. And why don't more people believe? It's in verses 37 through 43. And I, and I, I reversed the order because I want us to talk about how amazing Jesus' message was and then address the problem of why don't more people believe, right? Why are, are people remaining hard-hearted, and, and why are even people rejecting Jesus and, and hostile towards him? And so we'll look at this. All right, so first thing we're going to look at, what was Jesus' main message? It's in uh, verse uh, 44 through 50. And the first part of Jesus' message is that anyone can get in on this. Check out verse 44. Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me. Right? So Jesus, when he's delivering this message, he's crying out, come to me. Right? Anyone can come. Come one, come all. Put your faith and trust in me. And he's, he's passionately saying this. Right? It's not quietly saying, hey, come on over. No, he's crying out, come, believe, follow me. Right? He's, he's like begging and pleading, come. And the, and the good news is whoever believes, and everyone is invited. We all have permission to come to God. We all have permission. We are all invited. Later on, we're going to see that although we're all invited, we don't have, all have the ability to come to God. So we have the, but we have the, the, the invitation. Anyone can be saved. It doesn't matter who you are and what you've done. Sometimes a, a message seems too good to be true. Have you ever seen a, an advertisement for a, a free, free iPhone 12 Pro Max Plus XS? You know, there's always new, new device. I don't know what all the, all the letters mean at the end of them anymore because there's so many. New release every six months. I don't even know if mine's good anymore. All right? Uh, but there are, you get these offers. You'll see them in the, uh, in the you know, pop up on your, on your Google search. Free iPhone. And you're like, yeah, right. Right? We all know that nothing's free. So if you look at the small print, you'll look and you'll see, oh yeah, with a 36-month contract with early termination fees and all these other conditions, right? And, and uh, so we always know there's nothing's free. There's always a catch. But the good news here, part of Jesus' message is there's no catch. Anyone can come, right? We can freely come to Jesus because of Jesus, because he has provided the way for us to come to him, to believe in him, and he's crying out for people to come. The second part of his message is, if you trust me, you're trusting God, because I speak his words. It's found in uh, verse 44. Look what he says in verse 44. Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. Uh, who sent me. So he's saying, hey, if you believe, you, you believe in the Father. If you believe me, you're believing in the Father. If, 
If you're, if you're seeing me, you're seeing the Father because he's saying I'm God, right? I'm, he's the, uh, the, the visible manifestation of the glory of God. And he says, I have not spoken on my own authority in verse 49, but the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. Have you ever seen a, a TV show? You, I know we've all seen these where they have a, a disclaimer at the beginning of it, and it'll say, in this weird voice, uh, the views and opinions on this show do not reflect the views and opinions of the station. Right? You'll see it on a, on a talk show or, or an interview show. Right? They put that disclaimer there. Hey, the, and the, the disclaimer is saying, hey, this guy on this show, he doesn't speak for us. Right? Just in case, just in case he says something dumb, offends people, says something racist, and, and, and he gets canceled, right? And so the station puts up this disclaimer, so the guy gets canceled and not the station, right? It's not on us. But the, Jesus doesn't have that disclaimer on him, right? God the Father doesn't say that about Jesus. Hey, the views and opinions of Jesus don't reflect my views and opinions. No, it's exact opposite. Jesus speaks with authority. He speaks as God because he is God. So no disclaimer. He speaks with authority, and he can't get canceled or fired or removed because he is God. And he says, if you trust me, you're trusting in God because I speak his words. Three, he says that I came to bring you out of darkness. Controversial. He says, I've, uh, at 46, I've come into the world as light. And so, whatever, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And we have already known in, in the past that Jesus has called himself the light of the world. Right? And so he comes into the world, into the darkness, to bring mankind out of the darkness into the light. Right? To, to, so, so that we don't have to hide in shame anymore. So we don't have to hide in guilt anymore. And this is huge because many of us carry shame, right? We carry shame. We, we carry guilt. Mary, maybe you carry shame and guilt over things that you've done in your past, right? We all have secrets. We all have things we regret, things that we've failed to do or things that, that we've done. And, and and things that we don't want anyone to know about, right? We're carrying those things. We're hiding those things in our life. Well, Jesus came so that we don't have to, to hide anymore. We don't have to hide in shame anymore. We can come out of the darkness into the light, right? We can be cleansed and, and forgiven and, and made new. That's what Jesus does. Not only that, is he takes away the shame of the things that have been done to us. A lot of times we're carrying shame over shameful things that have been done to us. Maybe you've been violated. Maybe someone has hurt you or abused you. And you just feel like, how could I ever be clean or good enough for God? And Jesus came not only to take away your shame for the, the things that you've done, but the things that have been done against you so that you can be in the light, and, and you can be made new, and you can be cleansed and made whole. And that's the beautiful thing of, of, of 
of what Jesus is doing. All right? And it, you'll notice here he says, he says, remain in the darkness. Right? So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And so this is an important distinction. Because what he's saying here is, we don't start off good. We don't start off neutral. Right? Like, I think modern kind of, the world, modern culture believes that mankind is basically good. And that society and structures and our, and our family, you know, where we're born and our, uh, makes us bad. But what Jesus says is, no, we all, we all start off in the darkness. We all start off uh, a brokenness, uh, in the dark from birth. That's a big distinction. And so one of the ways you can see this and you can think about this is all of humanity, right? all of our culture, all of our society, the world is walking. The world that doesn't know Jesus is, is walking and living in darkness. And all of the world is, we're, they're just trying to live life and everyone's bumping into each other and everyone's, everyone's fighting and everyone's picking a side, whether it's Republican or Democrat, right or left, right? Everyone's picking a side, picking a team, picking a, a, a cause, and everyone's fighting, right? The whole world. That's why there's, there's war, wars. That's why not even in our, in our houses a lot of time can we get along very well, right? In our, in our families, we all have family drama and conflict because we're in darkness from birth, and we're stumbling around, and we're bumping into each other, and and we're trying to find our way and make our way. And the good news is, is Jesus is our hope. Jesus is the light of the world. And he can open our eyes to, to see things new and see things the way they really are. And lead and guide our steps. And, and even bring peace where there is division and fighting and darkness. The fourth thing he says, part of his message is, I came to save the world and not to judge it. This is good news. John 12, 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The words that I have spoken will judge him on that last day. And so what Jesus is saying, here's the good news, is I'm a savior. Right? I didn't come to judge the world. I came to, to save the, serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, not to judge and, and condemn and, and you know, wipe us all out. He, he, he came to create a way for us to be saved. And, and that's one of the amazing things about Jesus. Think, Think about this, the creator of the universe, the creator, the eternal God from before time takes on flesh and is born as a baby, right? He steps off his throne out of heaven and humbles himself to become a man, to become a human being. And he comes on a rescue mission to save the world. And that's what Jesus is saying here is, I, I have not come to judge, I've come to save and redeem, and restore. And so Jesus is showing us that he's a God of grace, and he's a God of mercy, and he longs that everyone would be saved. If you look at uh, Matthew uh, 23, 37, Jesus, he quotes, he says this. He says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 
the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Right? He longs for everyone to be saved, but people are rejecting him. They're not willing to come in and to trust in him, and he keeps calling them and calling them, begging and pleading to, to come to me. And he didn't have to judge us, right? Because he told us we're, we're already in the darkness. We are already condemned. We're already separated from God. And so he comes to save instead of judge. All right? So, so you see here this quick summary. We're, we're born into this darkness and we stand condemned already. And, yet, and then Jesus is calling everyone passionately to follow him, to give their life to him. And he's saying anyone can be saved because I've come to save. And he came to bring us out of this darkness into the light. Right? That's the gospel. Right? Jesus comes to save sinners. He comes to rescue this world. He comes to make this world that is broken. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Right? This world is not supposed to be this way. God made it good and perfect and whole. And sin came in and wrecked everything. And Jesus is coming to redeem and restore everything. And and so that's a beautiful message. And then the end of the message is one day he's going to return and he's going to make all things new. It's a beautiful message. It's a, a message of hope and of peace. And so it sounds amazing, right? And, and so you ask, then why don't more people believe? Right? What's keeping people from trusting in Jesus? What is stopping people? And so that's, what, that's honestly what Jesus addresses. And it's a, it's a hard text. And, uh, but I want to spend some time in here. Why don't more people believe? Verse 37, check this out with me. It's, the first thing, the reason they don't believe, Jesus says, is it's not because they haven't seen enough. 37 says, though he had done many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So one of the shocking lessons in this book of, of John that is that it's possible to see God, to see all these amazing signs and wonders, and still not believe. Right, so, and if you look at the case of Lazarus, all right, Lazarus risen from the dead after four days in this cave. Jesus calls him out. He comes out in his grave clothes, walk, looking like a mummy, right? All these people see it. It's amazing. And we're told that, uh, that many of the Jews, therefore, believed in him. So many believe, yes, but not all. Not all believe. Why don't? Why wouldn't everyone believe? Well, it's not because they don't have enough signs. And, and not only on top of that, is the relig religious leaders decide to kill Jesus from that moment. Like, that's, the, that's, that final, uh, final, uh, that's their final breaking point. That's the last thing they can take. They're going to get rid of Jesus because they know if he keeps doing all these signs, that they're concerned that more people would believe. They not only do not believe, but they want to stop other people from believing. So, so why don't more, believe? Well, more people believe? Not because they haven't seen enough. But I think he's, but here's another reason. is because the nature of unbelief is to not believe. Let me say that again. The nature of unbelief is to not believe. Look at verse 38. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
John is quoting Isaiah 53.1. Now why would he quote Isaiah 53.1? It doesn't make sense to our ears, but to the ears of the people he was speaking of, it made total sense. They knew the scripture. And if you back up a little bit in Isaiah 52, we see Isaiah talking about God's servant. It's a prophecy of Jesus who would one day come. And God's servant, Jesus, is revealed, and he's bringing good news. And in that chapter 52 of Isaiah, it says, How beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news. And then it gets to 53.1, and it says, who, Lord, who has believed? Right? The, the, this question is asked, and, and the answer is, no one. No one has believed. And, and you see in 53, you see God's servant comes, and he's despised, and he's rejected. It's this prophecy of Jesus. In 53.5, it says he's, he's pierced for our, our, our transgressions. He's crushed for our iniquities. And in 53.6, it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way. So that's what, so Jesus quotes this Isaiah passage to, to say, hey, what Isaiah prophesied is now happening now. Right? You guys, he prophesied that you would not believe. Because the nature of mankind, because we have a sin nature, is to not believe believe on our own we do not believe in god god has to do something god has to intervene to change our nature so that we can come to him all right so here's a way you can think about it imagine feeding a lion all right you get you put one big bowl of salad there anyone like salad i don't necessarily like salad but i have to eat it I buy salads at the beginning of the week, all, all week, so that I eat salad every week. And so I'm never looking forward to a salad. <laughs> but anyway, it's not my nature to eat salad. All right? But anyway, so you put that salad there, right? You put this green leafy lettuce. Put some carrots on it, some, some tomatoes on it. Put a ton of ranch all over it, right? Put some of those little baby corns. Have you had those little? Oh, man, I do like those baby corns. Those little ways you can just eat them and, oh, man, I like those. Put some black olives on it, right? You make this amazing salad, cheese on it. And then you put over here on this side, put a big old elk steak, right? Put an elk steak there for the lion. What's the lion going to pick? Picks the steak, right? Does he ever pick the salad? He'll never pick the salad, right? A hundred out of a hundred times, he's going for the steak, uh, a thousand out of a thousand, he's going for the steak. A million out of a million, he's always going for the steak. Because that lion's nature is to eat meat. It's a carnivore. It doesn't eat salad. What's that salad gonna do? What's that lion gonna do a ranch all over its face trying to eat salad? Right? <laughs> you can see it all, its hair all matted down, all weird with trying to eat salad. Uh, it's going for the steak. And that, that's because its nature is to eat steak. And so the same thing, and what Jesus is saying is, is our nature, human natures, human's nature is to always be in unbelief. We don't believe God naturally. 
Like God has to intervene. God has to change the nature. For example, like with that lion, for that lion to eat salad, you would have to change something about that lion's nature. You'd have to change its DNA for it to eat that. And then if, even if it did, it probably wouldn't make it very long. But, uh, but the lion's nature is state just like our nature is unbelief. Romans 3.10 says it this way. No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And so Paul is describing human nature. And human nature is not to go towards God. Because we're in, we're in darkness, right? We have this sin nature. We're not looking for God. Just like when I was a 15-year-old kid, I wasn't looking for God. I didn't want to go to youth group. I didn't want to go to a religious thing. But God had to save me. God had to intervene on my behalf and rescue me. So why don't more people believe? Well, because it's in their nature to not believe. They have this permission from God, this, this great call. Come. Everyone can come. Follow me. Trust me, Jesus says. And they can't come on their own, right? They have permission, not the ability. So God has to do something. God has to change. Change us. But then it says something more controversial. And this is probably one of the hardest things here. In, the, in this whole book, is that God hardens the hearts of those who will not believe. It's found in verse 39 and 40. Look at this. It says, Therefore, they could not believe. So the people could not believe. For Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. So John is quoting Isaiah 6, 9 through 10. And in Isaiah 6, we see the holiness of God revealed. Isaiah gets to see the Lord seated on the throne. He says, I see the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up. And he sees the cherubim and the seraphim around Jesus, right? These angels. And he sees the, the trade of the, the, the Lord's robe is, is filling the temple with glory. He gets this glorious image of, of God revealing himself to him. And he says, woe is me. I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. He just, he knows how, how unpure and sinful he is when, when he sees the glory of God. And God cleanses him. And then God says, who will go for me? Who will go preach my message? And he says, here I am. Send me. And so he volunteers to go and, and to spread the message of, of God's goodness and that God is coming. And in Isaiah 6, 9 through 10, he's told your, your message will only serve to harden them. Right? They will see, they, they will not see, they will not hear, and they will not understand. So he's given a, that's a rough job, right? Here, hey, uh, send someone to go preach a message that no one's going to believe. That's what Isaiah had to do. And, and why is Jesus referring to Isaiah? Because that's what's happening with Jesus. He's here. He's, he's come to, to speak for the, the Father, to spread the good news of the gospel, and come die for sin. And he's saying, and it's only going to serve to harden hearts. No one's going to believe. Right? They're going to reject Jesus just like they rejected Isaiah. 
right? So, but, so God hardened. So he was, but we still have to deal with what is this hardening of God, right? That almost sounds like, well, that's not fair. What, is God victimizing us? Is he, is he making us blind? Is he, is he hardening our hearts so that we won't believe? That doesn't sound like God. That doesn't sound, that sounds, that sounds kind of cruel, right? So we have to deal with that. But throughout the Bible, if you go look at throughout the Bible, God always speaks of, uh, of hardening of hearts, not as God being some like mean puppeteer up in heaven, cruelly making people not believe and, and not follow him and harden their hearts. It, it, it's not, that's not the way it speaks about it. The way the Bible teaches about what, what it means God hardens hearts is that he gives them what they ask for. He's given them what they ask for. So you, if you go read Romans chapter 1, if you read Romans 1, it says, they exchange the truth of God for a lie. It's talking about mankind. They worship and serve the creation rather than the creator God. And then what you see, the result of that is they've rejected God, so God hands them over. He lets them go their own way. And so God does. He he does let someone go. If that's, that's the kind of the hardening is allowing them to go where they want to go. And another way to look at it is Pharaoh. And in the book of Exodus, you see this story of Pharaoh, and, and he's enslaving the Israelite people. He's making, I mean, he is getting rich off of their backs. And God sends Moses to go preach a message. He tells Moses, go tell him to let my people go. And Moses does all these signs and wonders for Pharaoh to show him that his message is from God. And Pharaoh, does, Pharaoh refuses. And so God, there, you see these 10 plagues that happen in, in, that, in this book of Exodus. And at the end of the 10th plague, Pharaoh finally relents. He lets God's people go. And they're, they're heading off to their new home. And then he has a change of heart. And he grabs all his military men and they go and, and go seek to chase them down. And he meets his doom, right, in the Red Sea. Right, when Israel goes through the Red Sea and then the sea closes on the Egyptian army. And so in, that, in, in the, the story of Exodus, we're told that Pharaoh had a hard heart. So we're told he has a hard heart. We're also told in that story that he hardens his heart. We're told that, and he, we're also told that uh, God hardens his heart. So which is it, right? Is God making Pharaoh evil? Or is Pharaoh already evil? And does Pharaoh already have a hard heart? And, and, uh, and so, so, what, so what the Bible would communicate is Pharaoh's heart was hard already. And, Pharaoh, and God allowed Pharaoh after all these chances, God gave Pharaoh, right? All these signs, all these wonders, all these plagues. Pharaoh had every opportunity to turn. But he, hardened, he has a hard heart, and he hardens his heart towards God even more. And so God lets him go, right? And, that, and he meets his own doom in that Red Sea. I like this quote. James Boyce says it this way. In terms of salvation... It is hardly necessary for God to blind anyone. For men begin blind and come to Christ only when God intervenes to give sight to them. Let me read that again. In terms of salvation, it is hardly necessary for God to blind anyone. 
For men begin blind and come to Christ only when God intervenes to give sight to them. So what, what we've already seen in this scripture is that we're already in the darkness from birth. We're, we already have this sin nature, right? Our heart is already heart towards God. Natural man it has a hardened heart towards God. We're not seeking God. We're not trying to find him. We're not trying to uh, do good, right? And so, so God doesn't victimize us, right? He lets some people go their own way. And that's the hardening. He's letting them go. And, but for many, God intervenes, right? If God didn't intervene, no one would be saved. All would go away. All would go astray from God. But what God does, because he's gracious and merciful, is he intervenes. And the only time he intervenes is to save, because he's a savior, right? So he doesn't intervene to make us evil. We're already there, right? That's why he doesn't come to judge, because we're already stand condemned. But he comes to save. He comes to save Sinners, God has to intervene. We all have the permission. Anyone can come, but we don't have the ability. And so God saves sinners. God is the one that changes hearts. Look at Isaiah 146, 8. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. God's got to do the work. God's got to open the eyes. Isaiah 35, 4. He will come. To save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Ezekiel 36 36. I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and will give you a heart of flesh. That's what God does. He comes to rescue sinners. He doesn't have to. He doesn't make us evil. He's a savior. He comes to save and, and to give sight to the blind, to rescue us out of the darkness when we're, we're walking around lost in this world, to take away our shame, to take away our guilt, to make us new people. That's what God does. He sets the captives free. So he does these signs after sign after sign. And the greatest sign of them all, the greatest sign he ever did was the cross, right? Jesus comes because he's Savior, and he dies on that cross. He humbles himself to the point of death, even death, on a cross. And three days later, he rises from the grave. He defeats Satan, sin, and death. And he makes a way, he makes a way so that sinners can come to God. And that way is through, through believing, through believing. And he's calling us to believe, to follow him, to trust him. And now, how do we know that, that we've been saved? Well, if our heart all of a sudden says, oh, God, I believe you. I don't even remember what I said when I was six, 15 years old. God, I don't even know what this means, but I know I want to follow you. God changed my heart. And that's what God does. And so John 1.12 says, to all who did receive him, right? To who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So all of our, all our responsibility is, is to believe. It's to respond to Jesus. 
to hear his message and believe, to see the signs and wonders and believe. And we become children of God, not just forgiven, right? That's, that's pretty good. All right, I get forgiven, but I get even more. I become a child of God. I become part of the family of God for all of eternity. I get brought in. Intimate relationship. I get to know God. And when I die, I'll be with him forever. That's the good news of the gospel. God comes to bring us out of darkness and to make us his children. God's a rescuer. God's a savior. And so let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I, I, just, I know this is a hard text, Lord, that we're all sinners from birth. We don't like to believe that. We, like to, we probably like to think we're little angels. But Lord, this is the truth. And I thank you, Lord, that you save sinners. Thank you that you rescue us out of the darkness that you make the blind see, and that you soften hearts, Lord. I just pray that if anyone is here and, and uh, they feel your call, they feel you drawing them to, you, to yourself, Lord, that they would respond in faith and put their trust and their hope in you, Jesus. We love you. Thank you for all that you have done. You didn't have to do it. You didn't have to save anyone. Yet you save many. We just thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.